You're listening to Inside the Minds Podcast with Dante Marsh and Ryan Hyde, where we talk about sports, life, and whatever the hell else we want to talk about. everyone welcome to tonight's edition of the inside the minds podcast i am with my co-host as usual mr dante marsh yeah. how's it going tonight brother <laughs> pretty good pretty good and we have a... california right here man it was hot in canada today too hot on the west coast in general i guess we got a we got a special episode tonight uh we've got a, a good friend of ours uh to the show now uh mr jesse hughes from the eagles of death metal and uh, hey brothers what's happening guys how's it going brother we're awesome man we got a special california (laughs) we got a special show tonight um we're going to talk about uh, a sensitive topic um but a topic that we think uh, needs to be talked about there's been a lot going on in the world and um yeah without further ado uh jesse hughes is going to talk to us about the uh the events on November 13th, 2015 at the Bataclan in Paris. Um, Jesse, I'll leave it up to you, buddy. Yeah, you know, I mean, I don't think it's something that I can't talk about, you know, because I went through it, but I think there's my experience and what I actually believe it to be in terms of what it is now is I think an important part of the discussion in terms of, you know, everything that's going on in the world. There's a lot of fear. There's a lot of a lot of seeming chaos, et cetera, et cetera. But that doesn't mean we all have to fall prey to it. And, you know, if my experience is helpful, then I'm more than willing to use it. Um, But we're talking about, you know, an attack at a rock show. You know, just to get the perspective of it, a rock show, it's almost like Geneva Convention stuff. You know, our rock shows, our children's birthday parties, these things are supposed to be absolutely off limits. You know what I mean? Absolutely. I mean, even mobsters have a code of of what we do and don't attack. So to say that we weren't expecting it is an understatement. And but it started and then I because of where I was on the stage, I can tell you that my perspective was to see a lot of how everyone reacted in mass. And you know, some of the most bizarre things I've ever seen in my life. I've never seen, when the lights came on, everyone fell like wheat in the wind and played dead. I mean, when you see 2,000 people play dead all at once, it's very bizarre. Yeah. And I think when the gunfire started, in my opinion, what I saw, which I think is very relevant to now, is nobody had ever been around guns. You know, this is France. They have the strictest gun control. Nobody can have guns. 
of any sort. There's no waiting. There's nothing like that. So when the shooting started, I don't think anybody had ever heard a gun in their life. And it terrified them to the point where they couldn't move. And, and that made me, at that moment, I had this moment of feeling like this ain't fair. Because in, in California, when there's gunfire in America, people run till they're safe. Yeah. They, they, they realize that that sound means get away. But most people in America have heard guns before. In some respect, they've been around them in some respect. You know what I mean? Yeah. And, and that, that broke my heart in a way. It wasn't fair. I also felt it a couple of times. It's not fair that they have guns and we don't, you know, to say yeah. fair. Um, and I really did have a moment a couple of times of really, pardon my language, but where the fuck is gun control to save us right now? Yeah, no kidding. You know, and, and that was an honest reaction. It had nothing to do with politics. It had nothing to do with anything I wanted to believe or anything I was hoping. To, I, I mean, I never wanted any of that shit to happen. So there were these moments where the unfairness of it all was outrageous to me. Mm -hmm. But at the yeah. same time, I also saw some of the greatest demonstrations of love, some of the bravest acts, some of the greatest acts of courage that were so great that they dwarfed anything that these bad guys were attempting. And I mean that. And, and because I allowed myself to see that, I didn't become overwhelmed with the victimization of it or with the like, oh my God, I can't believe how hard it was for me to not get killed. I've never taken it that way. And I've never looked at life as a, a why me? Why not me? You know, I've always been a why not me and in the community of the world and the global community that we especially in the left wing leaning communities like ours tend to talk about we. We have to have standards of practice and we have to have uh, uh, things that we're willing to fight for as a global community and there's going to be a time where all of us any one of us may be called upon to stand our ground against evil against the yeah. things that wish to wipe away the entire flame of liberty and, and freedom. You know what I mean? There are these things out there that will do that. So yeah. in a way, I kind of, looking back on it, see it as one of the greatest honors of my life to be able to witness some of these incredible divine things that I saw. Yeah, yeah. Um, Jesse, maybe you, could, maybe you could take us back to uh, the beginning, um, you know, where you were in the tour um, kind of, kind of set the, the we were evening, like five I guess. shows into the tour. This show was slam sold out. It was slam sold out. You could feel the feel the energy. I spent I'd spent a lot of time that evening hanging out with the kids because I love the kids. You know what I mean? And meeting all these fans and my uh, merch guy uh, Nick Alexander and I had this rhythm going where I would go out and hang out with the fans and I'd ask them if they had any of the vinyl records and anyone who said no. I'd run up to him, he'd give me a vinyl record and I'd go give it to him. It was kind of awesome. It was just fun. Yeah. And yeah. So it was so oversold and packed that by the time it was uh, about the time to play, it took me twice as long as it should have just to get to the backstage. I mean, it was packed and the energy was at the highest level. And we just weren't, we actually weren't prepared for this sort of response. We, we really weren't. We didn't have the right security for ourselves personally. And I don't think anybody was really prepared for the show to, shows to be this popular. So when the show was about to start, we were running a little late. And 
my sound man and I, we always have a joke. If you're not smiling, you can't realize you're at an Eagles of Death Metal show. And there were two dudes that were wearing shorts, which was odd because it was winter. And they had trench coats on and it looked like they had their backpacks on under their trench coats. And they were just kind of standing at the double door entrances. Now, if it had been any other night, I would have had my tour manager. Get these guys out of here, you know, because, you know, but that was the first weird thing I noticed. And then we started the show and we were about five songs into it. And I mean, I'm just telling you what happened. I know some of the things that I remember are controversial, but I mean, I can. But all the security in the front of the uh, pit disappeared. And then the shooting started. Yeah. And the lights came on, which was probably the worst thing that could have happened. And then everyone played dead. And it sort of trapped everyone. You know what's odd is in a venue, we know a venue in the darkness. The right. exit signs are lit up. You know, you when the lights came on, it made everyone completely unfamiliar with everything. Yeah. And... I was pinned on the stage with Eden and Davey. In fact, when the shooting started, Davey, when the lights came on, he what he what Davey saw shocked him so bad that he couldn't really move off the stage. I had to yank his guitar cable and pull him off to the side of the stage and basically sit on him because he was in such shock. And it went from being a, a full volume live rock show in a 5,000 seat arena sold out. Just imagine that to absolute silence at the drop of a dime complete vacuum of silence where you could hear anyone breathing it was the most discombobulating effect you know when things happen to a group in mass you see people react like a school of fish and you see things you would never see otherwise you know yeah and i don't like to dwell too much on the on the evil but to give you an example of what type of people we were dealing with these guys weren't true believers when everyone was playing dead they were sort of stepping around and they had a bayonet one of them had a bayonet and he would stick people and if they moved he'd go ah ah, boom boom and playing games with people you know saying things like you're lucky we don't have much more we don't have time because we'd kill every fucking one of you i mean they were wow you know even religious zealots who were committing heinous things when they're true believers they abide by a code right I didn't get a sense that these dudes abided by a code. I mean, to me, if you look at how these things operate, when when these individuals complete these heinous acts, their families get like a $500,000 stipend from the Muslim Brotherhood. And then they get to do all the drugs and party all they want for like a week before they do it. That's probably, you know, yeah. a taste yeah. of a life they'd never otherwise have. I would, I would imagine it's more the way like a pimp sort of mind games, a, 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 you know, a young whore. Yeah. Is what the you know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. Wow. So when I was trapped on the stage, I didn't see any way to get off. And everyone was there was silence. So anyone who got up and moved was the sitting duck. You know what I mean? And my girl Tuesday had just flown in two days before. And if she wasn't with me on the side of stage, she was at the back at the front of house with, with Sean London, our sound guy. And I just basically seen his soundboard getting shot up and I thought he might've been dead. So when I didn't see her, everything for me changed. I was about to hyperventilate. I, I thought that I was, it was over with. I was already surrendering to death, which is a very s s bizarre thing to do. And when I didn't see her, 
suddenly I needed to find her. And it became everything that I, I cared about. I wasn't, I had already accepted death, so I needed to find her and I decided I needed to find her, but I didn't know how I was gonna do it. So I prayed and I've never done this before, but I prayed and I said, God, Jesus, I don't know what you gotta do for me, but I need you to get me off this stage right now. And I need you to do it right now. And I don't know how you're gonna do it, but you gotta do it now, please. I'm not asking you to let me live, just let me live long enough to get my girl out of here or maybe let me distract these fools long enough so she can get out of here. And I, I'm, I'm just telling you what happened. I know sooner than I finished that, that our drum tech, his name's Boot, interestingly enough, threw a drumstick at me and hit me. And he goes, they're reloading. And I was like, what? And he goes, they're reloading, Jesse. And it, it dawned on me what he meant. You know, They all started shooting in the same sort of timing at the beginning. So in the very beginning, they sort of reloaded it around the same time. So they were reloading and the shooting had stopped. And we got off the stage. And I looked at Davey and Eden, who were with me, and I said, I'm going to go find Tuesday. I love you guys. And Eden looked at me and said, I'm going to go with you. Now, even though there's few words there, in my mind, I, was gonna, I wasn't thinking I was going to live. I was just thinking I had to deal with God to get off the stage. And a friend is going to go with me. That's a gift from God. Yeah. And, and yeah. you know exactly what people are about in situations like this. And my friend Eden, I know exactly what he's about. And he's willing to face death to go with me to look for my girl. Yeah. Jesse, and, had, had you guys ever had any kind of a plan? Um, and, and, and obviously not for an attack like this, but any kind of a plan or a means to exit the stage in, in a hurry of, you know, does anything yeah. ever come up? Nothing, eh? No, and you know what? Yeah. This is an excellent question, man, because this highlights something that I think is critically important, dude, because it should have, in retrospect, I'd actually done interviews where I was talking about how we needed to be careful because, you know, the bad guys were going to start coming to our birthday parties the way they do in Israel. and mm -hmm. But never even thought about having an exit plan, you know? And in retrospect, there have been enough things, if you want to be honest, starting with Dimebag Daryl. In our world in particular, yeah. there have been enough instances where there should, we should have put our, you know, practice what we preach in our expectations of things and actually implemented at least some sort of process. Yeah. Which is I something do, going forward, I do every show. Mm -hmm. We pick two or three uh, emergency exits. We tape the route with colorful tape. We identify yeah. it to everyone before the show. We have a rally point. I personally look at things like this, you know, but part of my, the way I healed afterward was to take a lot of training, like in uh, security training, firearms training, et cetera, et cetera. I wanted, I didn't want to have any nightmares or be afraid of anything. Yeah. So, and Jesse too, so you say when the, when the, when the gunfire started, you, you know, you froze, and um, I mean, at that point, you guys have never talked about what you're going to do when somebody starts shooting at one of your shows and to wait until they were reloading to, to get the hell off the stage. I mean, obviously, your drummer had to throw his drumstick at you because I'm sure you'd never thought about having to go through that experience before. But I should have. Yeah, unfortunately, you should have. And thank you're God, right. thank God I knew what he meant when he was telling me that because the other bandmates especially the ones with no gun experience at all. They didn't know what the hell he was talking about. And 
the floor was, you know, littered with thousands of people and not one of them had really understood what that meant. Yeah. And I had to pull Davey off the stage because Davey was in such shock. Now he didn't want to get up. I had to pull him by the beard and was like, Davey, if you don't get up, we're going to fucking die here. I'm not yeah. leaving you up here. And yeah. at this point, you know, I had been able, they didn't all speak the same language and some of them had to speak French to each other. And essentially, I can tell you that they were essentially planning to come on the stage and behead me. So that was in the back of my head. Yeah. So, so when you guys got off the stage, um, you're, you're looking for Tuesday or, you know, Tuesdays in your mind. Um, what happened next? Well, I ran up to our dressing room to try to get to the back of the house from the little hallway that's there. Yeah. And. And you got to understand that to get the vibe of what the Bataclan is like, think of like an MC Escher drawing in living space. It's a mind warp of half floors and building codes that didn't exist in the 1700s and, th you know, things like it's just a, it's just crazy. So when we got up to our dressing room, I noticed that our dressing room doors were open and we had locked them. So I was a little nerved. Yeah. yeah. And I opened up a doorway. You know, I saw a couple of bad guys. I could encountered a couple of bad guys, but I was Jack B. Nimble. And by the time I got back downstairs with Eden, as I was walking to try to go to the other side, Tuesday popped up from between two cars, the bad guys' cars. And, yeah. you know, I know it seems corny and we, would, we, we all understand the sort of romantic notion of, you know, looking for your loved one in a, in a situation like this, but there was nothing ever more beautiful in my whole life than laying eyes on her right then and there, you know? Yeah. And she was where she was because Tuesday's got the most amazing dumb luck. She had fallen over a chair and fallen into the curtains that lined the side of the theater where an emergency exit happened to be hidden behind it and fell through the doors, rolled down some metal stairs and she was out. Wow. That's literally wow. how Tuesday got out. And but she, instead of going to be where she could be safe, instead of going to be where, you know, she could watch this from a distance, she went to the probably the most dangerous point she could go to, which is between two of the bad guys' cars, and waited for me. Yeah. And I found her. And when I got outside to, you know, walk up to her, there were about 200 people just staring at me and, and I started yelling, run for your lives and pushing people. And we all like 200 people broke into a dead sprint and ran down this alleyway and turned a corner. And then one of the fans put me into a vehicle and sent me to a police station with Tuesday and Eden. It was, it, wow. it was, I have to tell you something as I'm running for my life out in this alleyway, there's this dude whose friends are helping him. He's kind of hobbling and he's got a gunshot wound to the leg. And he looks at me and he smiles and he says, this was a great show, but I have to be honest with you and say that I liked your last show a lot better. Wow. As we're running for our lives. Wow. And, and at least two or three people as I was out there said, please don't, please come back to France. Please don't give up. I mean, in real time, everyone's running for their lives and people are thinking about this kind of stuff. Wow. People were, and, and, you know, I do want to tell you some of the things that I did see while I was on that stage. And I saw occasionally these guys would get close and were about to shoot somebody that somebody cared about. 
And when that would happen, I saw in one instance, as they were getting ready to shoot into uh, a group of people, this dude jumped up and went, hey, look at me, ah, and started running. And they got him, but he saved his friends. I saw that two other times. I saw one dude charge straight into a dude. And the Bible tells us that the most beautiful demonstration of love there is, is that you give your life for your friends. Yeah. And I saw it without hesitation, without thought, multiple times. And, and regardless of what those animals were attempting to do, in their very attempt to destroy our spirit or to send a message, I was blind to what they were doing. And I was witnessing the greatest love that you can show. And it was at a rock show. And it was done repeatedly without hesitation. And I, I, I was bathed in the grace and beauty of, of friendship and of, of loyalty. I was accompanied by a friend. My own girl put herself in harm's way to wait for me. And yeah. people were, were making jokes about the shows as we were running for our lives. And within one week of that attack, the entire front row survivors group, because the groups of survivors break down, had already sent me this incredible print of the initial life for Paris with all these notes of please don't give up on rock and roll please keep playing please you know anybody would have been justified to be angry and I wasn't seeing that and when when I went back for the first reunion after this had happened I I met with a, a group of mothers whose only children were lost that night yeah which is rough, man. And I was expecting, I remember telling myself, okay, if these women are angry, you got to go with it because I would totally understand that. Like if they hadn't gone to your show, like I totally was ready for that. And what I experienced instead was some of the most delightful people I've ever met who wanted to dance with me or wanted me to elaborate on something that their child had told them about something I said in music. And every one of them just wanted to spend time with me to see who it was that their child wanted to be with at their last, I mean, everything that I was experiencing was the way it should be in the, in the best sense of the word. And that's what that is. You know, it, that's what the thing has become to me. It's become an opportunity for the world to show evil, how amazing love is and in the corniest sense of the word, but I'm not, upset that I survived and I feel really truly like I bore witness to something that was divine and that it's my job to express that because I saw at least three people demonstrate the greatest love and the most profound courage that you could ever have and because I have a hard time surviving doesn't mean that their story deserves to be silenced you know what I mean I bore witness to it and I should be able to relay this story with joy yeah you find you find out a lot about people in adverse situations, right? And Absolutely. It may sound corny, but love conquers all. It really does, man. Yeah, no doubt. It really does. And I could have come out of that with profound hate and with, with, with you know, suspicion against people, uh, uh, you know, who look different than me. But I don't think God intended it that way because... When I landed three days after the attack, waiting for me in my driveway is one of my Muslim friends, Amir. 
who was so overwhelmed with worry and this sense of get, like God arranged for that to happen because one of the first people I saw when I hit boots on the ground was my Muslim friend who I love dearly. And I needed that. Yeah. I needed to see that. Yeah. You know, yeah. because it could have gone either way. Yeah. Could have gone many, 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 many different ways. Um, how do you, how do you, how do you not feel guilty, Jesse? I mean, you know, you know I'll like, be honest with you. I've had moments. It's you know, you're bringing up some great questions. I've I've had moments because it's not that I've ever felt guilty. I'm very reasonable. I blame the the one who's responsible for the sin. I I I, I didn't. Know, I, there's no possible way I could quote feel guilty. But I was the cheese in a trap against my friends. Yeah, and that's hard. There was a moment where. I really questioned if I ever wanted to play again. And it wasn't because I personally, and I mean this truly, I wasn't afraid of going on stage. I never, ever wanted to be in a situation where I was the cheese again. Yeah. But I don't separate myself from the fans. I look at us all as rock and rollers and we were all attacked singularly yeah. that night. Rock and yeah. roll was attacked that night. It wasn't our show that was being attacked, it was all of us in mass. They were trying to kill all of us. Yeah. All of us. And they were trying to kill our desire to want to go celebrate and live life and enjoy freedom. They wanted to try to kill our willingness to go out into the night, which also reminds me of, you know, when we went back and played, we went back on stage with you two, which was one of the most amazing things that a band has ever done for another, but separate story. We some people would say, you know, it's very brave of you to come back. But I, I I always want to point out that the really brave ones, the ones that were inspiring were the ones that who had been there that night, saw bloodshed and then came back in the metro alone on a subway to come to another show. Absolutely. That's brave. Yeah, that's inspiring. That's. And it's very odd when you actually are playing a rock show that actually means something because normally what we do is just entertainment and it doesn't mean shit yeah but when yeah. you're when you're defying the tyranny and the iron will of 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 evil that's when it means something yeah yeah well and i can't say that it a rock and roll show or a live concert doesn't mean shit but it's certainly you know what i mean no no i mean it didn't mean anything compared to that though no I'll, yeah i definitely know what you mean yeah that's uh that's crazy jesse but there really was what, uh, that, what the attack is about to me is everything else that happened i mean you two made me come back within two weeks and perform because it was important to them that we not fall off the horse and at their sold out arena show they left their own stage at the end of the set and gave us their stage to finish our set. It was one of the most incredible, generous gestures that a band, no band does that. No band gives up their stage like that. They'll have you come on and play maybe, but yeah. it's their stage. This was unique. And I don't know if I ever would have played if it wasn't for them again, you know? And it wasn't so much of a situation as to where when we went back out on tour, people were coming to, people were proving something. People were coming to our shows to say, hey, we want, I mean, it was all love. 
Yeah. Yeah. That's crazy for them to, for you to do that. So that was uh, December 7th. Um, yeah. So literally two weeks after, um, how, how did you feel performing that night with you two after you two gave you their stage? To be honest, I wasn't even sure I was going to do it. Yeah. It was a question the whole night as to whether or not I was actually going to do it because I was so conflicted about everything. You know, my head was everywhere. But Bono kind of pulled an old fashioned on me. He went, I hear all this tough John Wayne shit about Americans. And here you are hiding in the <laughs> in the locker room of this place, afraid to go on. And I was like, what, motherfucker? <laughs> no, hell no. I mean, it works. I mean, sometimes the simple ones work. But if you ever watch that performance, you'll see Bono. He keeps going go to the catwalk. And I didn't want to do it. He's like, you have to go to it. You got to overcome this. And he was right. I don't think I ever would have played again if they hadn't done that. I was just going to ask that. So never. I don't think you, I don't think it would have been, it was be, it was becoming too easy to not do it too. Yeah. Everyone in the business was too understanding if I didn't want to, you know what I mean? Yeah. So you did so, after, after, after that, after that situation, did it did it not make you feel unsafe? Like yeah, I gotta. It I did. Go perform. Absolutely, and and that first show with Bono, I thought maybe they're gonna finish the job, maybe they're gonna finish. And that first tour we went on, I was I had I have a security guard from France. His name's Mike, and. I was afraid until I saw the very first person show up to that first show that we did on the recovery tour. That was, it was scarier for them to do it. And I thought if they can do it, I can do it. And to be honest with you, I learned something about myself. I realized that there are some things worse than dying. And dying's not the end. I'm not afraid of dying. That's what it is. I'm not afraid of dying. I'm really more afraid of living wrong. Wow. And I just don't have it in me to let the bad guys win. I'm such a dick when it comes to those sorts of things. And and I also fundamentally have a hard time letting anyone tell me what to do. So with all the support that I got from you two and everyone, I mean, really, I was able to spend time going, I feel like I'm being told what to do. I feel like I'm being told to turn down my music with a heavy hand. And I've enjoyed these benefits of music. This life of mine has been wonderful. And the kids are the reason, the people that love the music are the reason why it's possible. And we were all attacked. And just because I had, I'm not going to allow the fact that uh, I have an ability to obsess on myself more, get in the way. I really looked at it as I have to make sure that everyone that was there that night can walk back out of the dark and come to a rock show again. Yeah. I really took that very seriously. And I think it was important. I'm glad I did because duty is an important, if you don't have anything else to get you to get up, if you don't have anything to make you want to actually face the dark and face what scares you, duty is enough sometimes. Yeah. Yeah, and Jesse, I'm sure that you coming back on stage and, and not being afraid helped so many people that lived through that night to not be afraid to go to another show, whether it be your show or somebody else's show, you know, to 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 not be afraid of the dark, right? You know, absolutely, but I'm not going to say I haven't been afraid. I've, you know, 
I've had moments where I see things that remind me and, and when a microphone falls flat forward and hits itself right on the cone, it sounds like a gunshot. I've had a couple of those that have, we had, we did a show where nobody told us they were going to be lighting fireworks over the band, right? That was an almost moment, but for the most part, nothing really triggers me. The only thing that really triggers me is, uh, is like uh, 18 wheeler brakes that are bad because it reminds me of, you know, you think people make crazy noises when they're scared, when their lungs and heart are getting blown out of the back of their chest, they make netherworldly noises and noises that no one's meant to hear, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, no, yeah, definitely not. Yeah. I could not, I could not imagine a tragedy being, being in, in that in real time. You like, know, being in the neighborhood, I mean, you hear gunshots growing up, you know, here in the U.S., it is what it is, right? Right. Um, sort of become desensitized to it, right? But to be going to an event with a couple thousand people in a venue like that, you would like to think you're safe and everything. Yeah. Is cool, right? That's that's terrible, man. And and like you said, when you're in the streets, like when we, we've heard gunfire when we grow up, especially... And, but there's normally, it's like a beef and it ends. Right. This was, there wasn't even something stupid for this to be about. And this went on for three hours. Yeah. And it was, it was, it wasn't like two dudes fighting and maybe somebody by accident gets shot. This is innocent people on purpose. You know, when you hear someone begging for their life and the person who's on the other end doesn't care, it's different. It's a different kind of violence, you know, and, and, it really showed me something. I, I've I've been shot at before, but the gun wasn't the thing to me anymore. It was the it was what was happening. The gun was just a tool of these animals because they were using knives and explosives and whatever else they had, and all kinds of things. But I saw stuff that still blows my mind. You know, there was gun smoke and blood in a cloud that looked like a snake that was about at head level that started to fill the venue. So after about 20 minutes, you know, you're breathing in blood and you're getting high on adrenaline. And, yeah. and it, no one can ever account, like you're never going to be prepared for this. Right. No, no, no. And never. it's funny, people forget how to speak their own language. You know, I learned, I saw too that fear, the thing that caused more people to fall prey was overwhelming fear. They were too afraid to move. They were too afraid to look at it. And that wasn't fair. You know, I'm not a hero by any stretch of the imagination, but maybe there was about three seconds. One, two, three. That's about six people's lives. Wow. Yeah. And when you're willing to do something about it, I was, and you can't, that's an special frustration. It almost seems wrong. Like when you're willing to do something and you don't have the tools to do it, it seems fundamentally wrong. Yeah. Yeah. Jesse, you, you brought up something earlier I wanted to touch on. Um, you talked about um, being afraid of living wrong. And um, I also had a near-death experience, um, nothing even close to what you went through. But um, it made me not afraid of death or dying, 
but afraid of what would happen to me to get to that point. And right. you, you, you bringing up, you know, the, the, the afraid of living wrong just changed my whole view on that, you know, and just opened my eyes up to, yeah, I mean, I want to live the right way. It, you really, life is precious and it can leave in a moment. And yeah. we're judged by the last thing we do, not the first thing we do. Yeah. And I believe, and I know that as sure as I'm talking to you two fellas, that when I'm dead, I will eventually stand before God and be judged. I believe this. And he's going to ask me what I did here or what I did here. And he's not going to care if it was easy or if it was dangerous or if it was convenient. He's only going to care if I did the right thing or the wrong thing. And, you know, I've just decided that there's some things I'd rather not have to say. Yeah. 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 I think when you face death, you start to come to terms with what you really believe in. And when you really understand there to be a God and you're facing death and you really see the reality, then it changes your whole shit up going forward. Yeah. I, I bet. It's, I mean, it's, it's, it's like you, your, your, your mind is not even able to go there. And then you're seeing it unfold. I, I could imagine that it's like a, a, a scary movie. Yeah, it, it, it's a, it's like everything about you gets stripped away. You know what I mean? Every every defense mechanism, every every front that we put up, all those things they they go right away. Yeah. And and at least for especially for the first two months afterwards, I was really raw. And yeah. it was almost like everything in my life that I believed in, in a way, had been thrown up into the air and was about to resettle. And I was trying to catch them and put them back into place. Yeah. So Jesse, um, I watched your interview uh, with Vice. Um, I'm not sure when you recorded it. I would assume it was shortly after the attack. Um, yep. I've watched that interview a couple times. Um, how difficult was it for you to come and do that interview? Because it looked, for my eyes, extremely difficult. I mean, you had the rest of the band members there. You guys were, were pretty broken up. What did you think of that interview? It was agonizing. And... I didn't want to do it. I didn't want to talk to anyone yet, but I was starting to get the reality of they're coming to me and somebody's going to talk about it sometime or another. And I needed to, and I needed to look out for the band. We needed to kind of set the story in terms of how we were going to be going forward. And the reason why we went with vice is because they were the only ones that didn't ask us. Right. They were the only ones that didn't ask us. And I felt like, we would reach more people that we would relate to through that avenue than we would through, say, 60 Minutes. Right. And we only wanted to talk about it once, but it was so hard for me that Joshua had to come with me and stand next to me. Yeah. I mean, the things that you don't see in that interview are, are, are right before it goes on. I, 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 look, I basically... Uh, look at Josh and go, can you please, I, 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 can you just sit next to me, dude? Yeah. Because I, I was, I, I was having to talk about it so much. I was reliving it a lot. Yeah. And that's why I had to come to terms with that quick, like suck this up now because it ain't going to stop. And people are looking at me. And whether I want it to be this way or not, I'm here. It doesn't matter what I wanted. It's what it is. And I have a duty here. And 
I don't want to let anyone down. Yeah. That's kind of been one of my main things is I just, I don't want to let anyone down, you know? Yeah. Yeah. How, how soon after was that interview with Jesse? That was just days. Wow. It was just days. And it was just before we went to, uh, back to Paris, I believe. Wow. Yeah. That must've been extremely difficult. You know, it, at all. I, I, at this point, I was starting to look at it like it might be hard, but it's like saying, wow, it's really hard to have lived. It's really right. hard to have survived. And I started to tell myself that constantly. And it made me feel stupid for a second. You know, it really helped me. Like, I'm not upset that I lived. And I, it started to help me turn it around in my head because you kind of the only way you're going to get out of anything like that is you have to start one step at a time yourself. You have to bring yourself out of it. Yeah. yeah. It doesn't happen overnight, but you have to make, you have to pull yourself out of bed that first time, face it, make a choice not to get mad when someone brings it up to understand that nobody means anything personally. And, and it, it comes from the best intentions and telling yourself, even if it's the millionth time someone's asked you this, it's their first time. And remember that. And, and, that helps. Yeah. Yeah. Jesse, this, um, I wasn't expecting this for myself. This interview has got me in a knot right now. Um, yeah. I'm just a little, you know, taken back by the whole thing. And um, it's vast, my friend. And it's a lot, it's even difficult to even stay on point when talking about it because of the, the, the size of its horror. Yeah. But what we're doing right now is the only way to do it, to talk through it. And I think you even said this would be broken up in parts. That's why yeah. it's because yeah. the yeah. first point of talking about it kind of gets you in one space. Then you got to kind of let that sit with you for a minute. Yeah. And you got to kind of think about what, you know, it takes a minute. It really does. This is not something that even the questions you might want to ask are going to just pop up. That's right. That's right. Yeah. Yeah, we're approached. We're after nine thirty-two, um, for for you and you and Dante. Um, yeah, maybe maybe we'll just cut her there tonight, because um, I do want to stew on it a bit, and uh, and like you said, the more you sit on it and think about it and things unwind. Well, I can tell with Dante. Dante's questions were on point too, both of yours. But I could tell it was like taking it all in and then. And I'm actually really, look, I, your questions, I'm not afraid of. I really appreciate it, you guys, that you're asking questions. In a, I mean, really, it's good to be able to trust the people that you're with talking to them. So, Yeah, yeah for those two, um, I, I talked to Jesse before we went live. I just said that um, this wasn't a conversation that we were going to get in depth like this um, in our first show with, with, with Jesse. Um, we got to build that trust. Jesse has to build it with us. And uh, we're, we're happy that Jesse was able to open up with us like this and have this conversation with us. Absolutely. I, I, I think, like you said, Jesse, I think it's, it's tough to have to relive those moments, but at the same time, able to talk about it, get it out, vent out. And then also in one of the you know next parts is, is we need to we need to figure out how we can prevent these 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 mass 
uh, shootings and, 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 and terror acts because it's, come on, man. These are innocent people um, going to enjoy, like, like, like the situation that was in Las Vegas a few years yeah. ago. Like you, you're, you, you're expecting to go and be entertained and have a good time and, and, and be with other people that have the same intent and mindset as you, but you're going in to lose your life. That's, 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 that's terrible. And we still don't even know anything about that dude in Vegas. No, exactly. Which is no. like, what the hell is going on there? You know, as the, I think in the next episode, we'll talk about things that as a victim of a mass shooting don't make me feel safer discussions about things to do that actually don't make me feel safer wow. that don't help me and seeing the authorities not follow up on something is not is a is a good one to look at to say that doesn't help no kidding yeah and we just had jesse i had texted you and told you about the uh the bank robbery in victoria um and these guys were armed to the t and uh, apparently their their idea was just go rob this bank and then go shoot cops afterwards that their idea was you know robbing the bank for the money wasn't what they wanted they wanted to shoot cops they wanted to bring cops yeah exactly uh and, yeah and that's in canada right so we're not you know we're 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 not away from this stuff either it happens here you know well i think honestly you know personally i think we have to we have to look at this as an event and we have to pull guns out of it as something that's inextricable. Because if you want to look at like the body, like the, the most death that's been incurred has been incurred with an SUV. Yeah. Yeah. And nobody's talking about locking carburetors and safes at night. Well, maybe we should I'm be glad, though. I'm, I'm, glad, I'm glad you brought that up. Um, Cause I definitely want to, that, that's a topic that I want to touch on in, in, in one of our episodes is, um i'm a i am a uh a legal gun owner um i don't have a, a plethora of weapons but i am a gun owner um more so for my my myself my fiance and my family. i am too brother I, I i i feel like we open pandora's box when we we start I, I just don't like the narrative that like guns don't kill people. People kill. No, they don't. That's right. People, I've I've never seen my forty five jump up and shoot itself. So right. I just feel like and, and we can be logical and scientific. Like, well, let's look at the last fifty years. Let's start in the fifties. How many mass shootings were there? How many in the sixties and seventies? What's changed? The availability of guns in America has actually only gotten harder since the fifties. But there was one mass shooting in the 50s. In the 70s, it was like 14. By the 90s, it was 20. By the, I mean, now we're, what's what's really changed? It's not the availability of guns. No, because something's I, changed. I, I, think, I think if you are a person who has ill intent, you're going to carry out whatever mission that you, that you, that you have, you know, conspired to do. I mean, most most criminals don't have legal firearms precisely and if they, yeah. you don't care about the law against murder you don't care about the law against an assault weapon right right maybe maybe it's the medication maybe it's the medication that's that's you know 
No, if we do stupid shit, I don't know. School shooters. Let's look at the school. And if looking back now, it was almost like a season. It was school shootings, starting with Columbine, et cetera. Right. Yep. The Columbine shooters dressed just like Leonardo DiCaprio in their favorite movie called Basketball Diaries, where he dreams about shooting his classmates with a shotgun and a black trench coat. Right. They mapped their school out according to their favorite level of doom, the video game, and they coordinated the same song in their headphones. I know it's not popular, but I'm going to go out on a limb and say fucking rock and roll video games and movies had a little bit to do with it. I mean, 50 million Elvis fans can't be wrong. Right. Just go to a Comic-Con and tell me this shit ain't influential. Yeah. So, so that's the other piece. Like, for example, I'm a, I'm, a, I'm a horror movie buff. I love, I'm, 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 I'm 43 years old, so I grew up in the era, like we all, all three of us did, where, you know, Friday the 13th, Halloween, Chainsaw Massacre. I, I love those movies. Right. However, I do know it's entertaining. Um, right. For, and for, we, we grew up in a generation where our parents put it in perspective when we saw it. Yeah. It's, but it's, it, it's, it's just like, how, how is Al Pacino became notoriously famous in the Black community for Scarface? Right. Right. Yeah. He's, he's, a, he's like, it's folklore, right? That's right. one of my favorite movies of all time. Here it is, this poor ass Cuban, right? That 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 exceeds all expectations when he gets to America doing illegal things with drugs, guns, madness, murder, and mayhem, right? So to achieve quote unquote the American dream. So if we can sit there and and allow that, right, to be to be available and accessible and not think it's a direct correlation to what's going on in some of these instances, but then vilify rock and roll or rap music. Because right. at one point in the 90s, they were they were trying to say it was the rap music, right? And you know, it was so, Al Gore and who were doing it. Right, so how yeah. different is a old school NWA tape, um, uh, Ice-T tape, uh, Public Enemy tape? How is that any different than a Scarface movie or a Goodfellas movie. How, how, how different is it? So why is it, why is it being put in a different context where we're saying that we can visually see and this is playing out in a movie theater? Yeah, why is one more dangerous suddenly right. than the other? Right. So I just, I, 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 think, I, think, I think as a whole society, it's, I, me personally, I think it's a bunch of cop-outs. We're looking... Yeah. We 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 want to look for a cop out or an excuse, right? And to fit certain narratives, right? Yep. So yep. I mean, how how dangerous is a is a is a is one guy who has a a, a weapon and kills some police? How does he get taken into custody alive? And then you have an unarmed black man who gets shot forty times. I'm I'm confused. So let's you, yeah. you get what I'm saying. So it's it's, yeah. it's let's make excuses to fit these certain narratives. Well, well, anybody gets shot when they're not armed, it's wrong. Absolutely, yeah. absolutely, yeah. absolutely. No, irregardless of color, I'm just saying I'm the narratives, right? So right, absolutely. We have to. We have to. I think as a as a society, we can't sit there and say, "Oh, I, I just it just blew me away." With all the all the banned guns, we need stricter gun laws, dude. It, it, 
I, me personally, I'm 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 what they would call a conspiracy theorist. Which oh, I am too. It's not a conspiracy when they're doing it in your face, right? But I mean, it's it's quite funny to me that all these all these mass shootings are like happening every week now. Yeah, and oh, I, every night now. Maybe just, it's just being broadcast every night because when I was a kid, there were shootings everywhere every night in local. Yeah. But that would be local news. Right. Now, yeah. because there's an yeah. issue that people have a point to make, everything gets, when you broadcast the same thing a hundred times, it seems like it's happening a lot. Right. I mean, most people don't yeah. know that one dude attacked a school in the early 1900s and killed a hundred kids with a stick of dynamite. It's wow. really not brand new. Right. N never heard of that, but I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to look into that. Never heard of that. I mean, if, if it's the narrative of gun laws, right? So... I mean, like I said, I, I just feel like we need to we need to have these conversations. We need to talk. We need to talk about what's going on and have serious, real conversations. And, and we also need yeah. to talk about: Do we have any examples of these things being thwarted? If we're going to talk about like what to do about it, has anything ever stopped one of these? Right. And in America, yep. the only thing that stopped it has been citizens with guns. Yeah. Yeah. And that's not even a political thing. That's just me being honest with the situation. Right. Yeah. And I think, Jesse, that was another reason why I wanted to do this show with you is because um, we might be able to stop somebody from planning on doing something like this when they find out, you know, what something like this really does to people, how, you know, killing people and, you know, all that type of stuff, you know. It's, and I think a lot of it, though, I don't know if we're going to reach the individual that's ready to go do that, I don't know if we can, but being vigilant, looking at signs, being willing to say something, you know, there was a terrorist attack at the airport in Belgium right after the attack in Paris. And the cab driver noticed that the dudes he was dropping off were wearing one glove, that their bags were heavy, that they were sweating. But he didn't say anything until after it happened. Right. Yeah. You know, at the Ovalde shooting, there's an actual clip of a fucking cop checking his fucking emails mm -hmm. wow what yeah. the hell and we now yeah. know that the door was i mean all this shit the door wasn't locked the blah blah you know most people don't realize that ovalde was part of a flagship program to use ai to monitor social media to prevent and identify potential shooters how did that fail <laughs> i don't know yeah, i don't know uh we talked about columbine earlier um, actually, I had reached out to uh, Susan Claybold, which is uh, Dylan Claybold's mother. Dylan was one of the shooters. And oh, yeah. I talked, had talked to her about coming on the show. Um, Susan is just as much a victim as anybody who died. At, Absolutely. At and um, I had seen that she was willing to talk publicly about, um, you know, what had happened at, at Columbine and how it affected her life. And uh, I was hoping to get her on the show, but she said, you know, maybe, maybe some other time. You know, a lot so. of these shooters are confused, ripped up, broken people who are victims too of something, you know? Yeah. Right. Yeah. 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 We need to look at how to recover them. Yeah. Prevent them from existing. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. I and, and I think it's a cop out yeah. to, to blame mental health for everything. Dude, thank you. Thank you. I mean, mental health. Blame that you can't foresee that. Mm -mm. Mental health is very real. Um, definitely very real. But 
for us to use the cop out and say, well, oh, he had he had issues or that's an excuse. Some it people, is an excuse. It's just like this. If you are a poor asshole, if you hit the lottery tomorrow, you're going to be a rich asshole. That's just what yeah. it is. Yeah. You got to stop making excuses. You'll probably end up being poor in five years again. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, we, we got to stop making excuses for what's going on. And, 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 and it goes back to the, the other show we had. I'm just, man, whatever happened to being a good human? Yeah. Like humanity should supersede all the political agenda. It should supersede all of the, 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 the bullshit that's being spewed out to the public to have this right wing, left wing, red versus blue, uh, yeah. Republicans versus Democrats. At the end of the day, man, it got to be for the people and by the people. We got to be Americans. That's it. Yeah. That's good yeah. humans. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. All right, Jesse. Um, th thank you very much for coming on tonight. I really, really appreciate it. Dante and I both do. Dude, and you guys should think about what we talked about, and and you'll you're gonna get more insightful questions tomorrow. Probably you'll go. You know what? So yeah. as you get them, like put them, corral them, and and, and I'm down to come back. Oh, let's tackle this again. Yeah, we gotta uh, we gotta finish up. I definitely had definitely had some questions. Um, and but I'm I think what we're showing is that but... this is an issue bigger than a single show. Right. Definitely. Yeah. Absolutely. Are you? Uh, can, how, how, sorry, Dante, go ahead. I'm available all the time for this. Absolutely. Okay. I'm saying uh, we, we need to start getting to resolutions. So, yes. Let's come up with some real ideas. Yeah, for these yeah. shows, this is great. Like now you're talking about three people talking about real issues. There's 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 real issues that need to be discussed in a real way. And right. there's no such thing as I'm the reason why we can never gain any ground on real issues because we never talk about the real issues we dance and i'm not saying that's individually per se i'm saying as a as a society as as people as a world as a country right. states we never talk about the root of the problem we dance around the shit and it we just, hide from it exactly yeah yeah absolutely yeah definitely um i think dante is good for wednesdays is, is that okay still with you dante Big time. Done. So uh, we'll just go next Wednesday, 8 p.m., and uh, we'll both write stuff down as it comes up. And uh, Jesse, we'll, we'll be in touch before then for sure, as, as usual. And, love uh, you guys. I mean it. Love you too, Jesse, and I mean that. And uh, I'll be tuning into your Instagram either later tonight or throughout the week. I always try and say hi, Jesse, when I'm on there, just so you know I'm there. And uh, yeah, and I hope everything works out with Tuesday too, and you get a, give us some good news soon about her. So It will, brother. It will. Always, always in my mind, both of you, and uh, always give you guys our prayers. Um, yeah. Thank you, brother. Thanks, Jesse. I really appreciate it. We'll talk to you guys uh, next Wednesday. Sounds okay. Great, Jesse. Later, guys. See you All later. Thank you for joining us on this episode of Inside the Minds podcast with Dante Marsh and Ryan Hyde. Check out our Facebook, YouTube, and Twitter accounts to see our upcoming show announcements, links to our previous shows, and sound bites. And don't forget to hit that follow button while you're there.
Hey, this is Logan Bandy. Hi, this is Zane Frazier. This is Art Jimerson. Chris Rainey. This is Boots Electric, and thank you for joining me on my special guest spot on Inside the Minds podcast, where everybody wants to be if they're smart. Good field position start, play action. Burr's going to load it up, but he's short on the throw. Intercepted. Dante Marsh has his 30th career interception and a good return back into Ottawa territory. Well, the usually strong arm Henry Burris comes up short.